When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I am your host, Grace Fowler, and today we are talking about parasocial relationships. So I wanted to give a big thank you to everyone who started listening or continued listening through the spooky Halloween episodes from last month. Um, And a big thank you to my guests, um, Jacob and Becca, who joined me for a few of those episodes. Um, I had a lot of fun doing those. And I think kind of, you know, showed me that it's good to have guests on and do different types of conversations and really be able to spend time in one piece of media. Um, But with all that said, I'm going to do something completely different this week. (laughs) Um, And as we kind of move back into regular programming, um, I wanted to talk about this concept of parasocial relationships and um, I think how it relates to the way that we consume media today. Uh, or like in this time. Um, so I wanted to go through some some research about parasocial relationships, what are they, um, and how they evolved as technology has evolved, um, and just kind of like how to, I guess, understand how parasocial relationships maybe impact your life, um, impact your well-being, and what to watch out for, or maybe what to, to focus on. Um, and I'm really excited about this because... Um, I had this on my list of topics for like a long time now. Uh, I just didn't have the time to sit down and do the research, but I was able to get to it this week. And this is a very interesting topic to me because I think that as a you know person in the psychology world, it's interesting as a concept, but also as a person who consumes a lot of media, um, I've experienced the full range of parasocial relationships. Um, so I felt like this researching this episode was just as much of a, a me-search <laughs> topic, right, about learning um, about myself as it was, you know, a research topic. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and just start with with where the... Con- First of all, what what is a parasocial relationship? And in its most base terms, a parasocial relationship is essentially a one-way relationship with a media figure or fictional character. Um, And the reason it's one way is because us as the consumer of media experience um, connection, intimacy, all of these things with a person who who may not even know we exist or who may not even be real. So the relationship cannot be reciprocated um, in the same way. And a lot of research around this unfortunately it comes out of like the consumption or like marketing literature um, 
because parasocial relationships are sometimes used as a measure of like will people consume more or will they buy more of a product Um, and this really comes into play with the advent of like influencer culture um, in social media and like celebrity influencers Um, and so I tried to stay away from the consumption or marketing research just because um, first of all that's not my area of expertise and also because um, I don't think everybody everything needs to be studied in the form of like how can it make us more money <laughs> that's just that's just a me thing um, but there also is a lot of psychological research about this topic um, that I think is really useful and more meaningful than just looking at how parasocial relationships can contribute to the way that we we purchase more things or consume more media um, but so, so baseline, parasocial relationships are this like one-way relationship that we develop with um, a media figure. Um, and, and some of the research talks about this like continuum of parasocial interactions. So you may be someone who engages in a parasocial interaction, right, by pr- consuming media, but it doesn't mean that you develop a parasocial relationship with the, the media figure. So as with a lot of stuff in the field of psychology, it's on a spectrum, right? You can go from more passive parasocial interactions all the way through to, you know, a full-blown parasocial relationship. So where did this idea come from? And the first original study that I could find, and that is cited by most of the literature, was by Horton and Wool in 1956. And I thought this was, like, crazy that this idea has been in psychology since 1956. Um, But it makes sense why it came about in this era, and they even say in the original study that there was this rise of mass media, which at the time was radio, movies, and TV, um... And all of this increase in in these media forms meant a lot more people were consuming a lot more media, and psychologists and and other researchers were starting to see this phenomenon of people making connections to characters um, that they hadn't seen in things like the theater. Um, and, and Horton and Wool also specifically say that the rise of what has been called fireside radio programming contributed to this impact as well. Um, And if you've ever heard of like FDR's fireside chats or other types of like this fireside radio programming, the concept was that the host of the show is speaking directly to the audience and creating this sense of environment or sense of experience that's supposed to be more comforting and friendly Um, where it's drawing in the listener more so than just like a news report or a speech. Um, And, you know, the fireside chats from FDR really came out of this very tumultuous time in America where um, the general public needed some soothing, right? Needed to be reassured, needed information from their leader. Um, And so, you know, FDR kind of leaned into this type of programming. Now, Horton and Wool also, and, and a lot of other researchers have said that parasocial interactions and relationships can apply to actors themselves, like the person of the celebrity, or to the fictional character. Um, and in fact, some of the literature that I'll discuss later, like specifically was looking at um, like the Harry Potter fandom. And for people who are, are fans of Harry Potter, are typically fans of the books more so than the movies um, if not both and in regards to the books like there 
it's only a fictional character, right? There isn't an actor with which to develop this type of relationship. So I think it's important to keep that in mind, that parasocial interactions or relationships are not just about like an actor or a celebrity, but it sometimes is about the, the, the fictional character. Um, so all that to say that Horton and Wool designated these parasocial interactions um, as coming from these new forms of media, which were new in the 1950s, um, where characters in the in these forms were speaking more directly to the audience. So, especially if, if with the um, increase in like television programming and specifically like television news and like game shows, uh, audiences had this type of media they were uh, engaging with where the they were the audience, right? That in that, that the lines, the dialogue, the actions of the media was directed at them more specifically than it was at other people in, like, the play, right? Like, if you think of in theater, you know, often the interaction is between characters on the stage and not necessarily the characters in the audience. Now, I'm sure that has changed because theater has evolved since 1956, but this was kind of the landscape of media that Horton and Wool were working with. So as I mentioned before, a unique aspect of parasocial relationships is there is not reciprocity, um, as in the half of the parasocial relationship is, is a person who may not exist or may not know that you exist. And Horton and Wool basically said that a part of why these relationships don't require reciprocity is that the audience can actually terminate the interaction at any time. Right, so if you are watching a movie, you can t stop the movie, you can walk out of the movie theater anytime you want, right? And in interpersonal relationships, right, where maybe you're having a conversation with somebody else, it's not as easy to terminate that relationship. Now, I think they would, I would be interested in what their take is on the way that technology um, play plays in interpersonal relationships, right? Because you can very much terminate a phone call whenever you want now. <laughs> you can end a FaceTime, close your laptop, camera's over. Another unique thing that was happening in this era when this original research was done was the development of types of TV shows that were not, you know, standard dramas or comedies. And so you have things like news interview programs, you know, things like 60 Minutes, um, and the rise of game shows. And the people who were hosting these types of shows were developing personalities, um, but were not necessarily playing a character, right? And this was so different from a lot of the, the type of media that was available at the time, and was also different from the way that, like, television or radio news was delivered, right? You know, tradition. if we think of, like... Um, you know, traditional radio broadcasts, it wasn't a guy playing a character, and it was always a guy because of misogyny. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a guy playing a character who was a news broadcaster, it was just a, a guy reading the news on the radio program. But as we start to move into this post-World War II uh, media era, we have people start to develop these personalities. And so, although you're tuning in to watch you know, whoever hosts Million Dollar Pyramid or whatever that show is, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're not using a fake name, you know, they're, they're who that celebrity is, but they are portraying this personality of game show host. Um, and so this, this really stood out to, to the authors and kind of um, to them kicked off why it's important to look at these parasocial relationships. Um, 
They argued in this original study or original article that there actually is a value to parasocial interactions and that value is that it allows the audience to take on alternative roles that they may not be able to take on due to their current developmental stage. So what does that mean? Basically we're looking at um, audience members entering into a parasocial interaction or relationship with somebody who is living a different type of life than them. So let's say you are an older person uh, watching television about college students. Engaging in a parasocial relationship with these characters or this type of media kind of allows you to have that feeling of being back at college or being back in that, that, that life stage of being in your 20s, not having things figured out, <laughs> um, you know, it, not in committed relationships yet or, or, or whatever it is. And that you, as maybe a person in your 40s or 50s with a family and a stable job, you can't live that same lifestyle that people in, in college or their 20s live, but you can kind of vicariously live it um, by engaging in this parasocial interaction by watching this media. Same goes the other way, right? Like children, uh, maybe not young children, right? But teenagers watching television shows about adults, it kind of allows you to, it's almost like role playing what it would be like to interact with people as an adult, even though you are, a, a, you know, a teenager. Um, and so th they kind of said that the, this allows people to um, engage in engage in taking on these alternate roles in a way that is not detrimental to their life, right? It's not like you're, you're not engaging in behavior that's inappropriate because it's just you and, and whoever's on the TV or in the movie. Um, they also argue that there is a negative or a downside to parasocial interaction. Um, and this, this, is a, this is a quote from their article, which we're going to break down. But they said that the personality program, however, is peculi peculiarly favorable to the formation of compensatory attachments by the socially isolated, the socially inept, the aged and invalid, the timid and rejected. Now, keep in mind, this was written in 1956 when we weren't super great about language in <laughs> research articles. Um, but essentially what they're saying is that their fear about parasocial interaction and relationships is that people who maybe are already socially isolated or struggle with social skills or are you know timid or or older and kind of left out of society may rely on these parasocial relationships to the detriment of forming attachments with other people in an interpersonal way right that relying on this non-reciprocal parasocial relationship means you're neglecting your reciprocal real-life relationships. Now this study didn't have like a lot of evidence that that's true and in fact I did find some research that that maybe that's not necessarily the case particularly nowadays um, but that was the worry at the time and and I understand why it was the worry at the time because this was all new media this was all new ways of interacting and um, you know, we were coming out of World War II, the world had really changed, the way that we began to consume media really changed, and I think people who were researching and, and, and looking at these trends were concerned. Um, and, I, and I read this as, as the author saying that they don't want people to become isolated, that they don't want this to replace, you know, valuable reciprocal interpersonal relationships. Um, but 
we'll see. We'll see. We'll, you know what? We're going to go on the journey together and, and review um, a lot of the research. And, and you can come to your own conclusions about the detriments and values of parasocial interaction. So uh, Horton and Wool also talked about um, one of the ways in which we strengthen parasocial relationships is by talking about the media figures with other people in our lives. So, you know, those water cooler conversations at the office about this show or that show, um, you know, conversations with your friends or family members about a celebrity, those are ways in which the parasocial relationship is strengthened um, and it kind of becomes the way in which you get reciprocity with, to these relationships, right? It's like indirect reciprocity because you're having an, a third person respond to you and engage in this conversation with you about the person that you're having a parasocial interaction with. Um, so I thought that was interesting that even back in the day, um, at the beginning of this research there, there was this focus on kind of the way that we talk about media and how it strengthens those parasocial interactions. Um, and I would also love to see Horton and Wool's take on the way that fandom culture has developed, particularly on the internet. And if any of you listening out there uh, were ever part of, uh, let's just call it the early 2010s Tumblr culture, <laughs> then you may have experienced kind of this at, at its basis level. Um, and I think this it still happens in, in internet spaces. It's it's just for those of us who lived through <laughs> Tumblr at that time, it was a very unique type of experience. Um, but by, you know, engaging with other people who also have parasocial relationships with the celebrities or characters that you enjoy, you do strengthen your connection to those characters. Um, so that's where the literature started, this 1956 study. Um, and, and it's kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. Um, you know, like I said, people in marketing and consumption literature have picked it up. Uh, psychology has really gone back and forth with it. And interestingly enough, um, there there hasn't been a whole lot of inquiry about like the theoretical underpinnings of parasocial relationships. Um, there are like a couple scales that have been made and it's, it's, it pops up in research here and there, but there's not like a unifying theory of like, why do we do parasocial interaction? Um, and one of the people who was kind of at the forefront of establishing a more consistent theory of parasocial relationships was this author Giles, um, who has written, has written quite a few pieces, theoretical pieces. Um, he also agrees with this idea that parasocial relationships lack reciprocity and that that has, um, that's kind of like been maintained in the parasocial relationship literature. Now, Giles, kind of posits this continuum of parasocial encounters based on the probability of in having intimacy. So again, another spectrum, another continuum. Um, but he posits that um, the farther you get away from the possibility of meeting or having a one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone, the more truly parasocial the interaction is. So for example, let's say that you are attending like a large lecture class at a university. There's like a hundred students in the class um, and, and one lecturer. 
it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility that you have a one-on-one -on -one interaction with that lecturer. So is the relationship that you develop with that person truly parasocial? No, because there's a probability that you could develop interpersonal interactions or a relationship with that person. And as you move along this continuum, it gets to these places where it's more and more unlikely. Um, and he, he kind of talks about this in, in regards to like distance from the relationship object, I guess, or the, the, the person that the relationship would be formed with. Um, and so like, you know, noting that there's a difference between like, if you're in the audience of a concert, there is still a slim probability that you could have a face-to-face -face interaction with, you know, Doja Cat if you're at her conference or her, her concert. Uh, but if you're at home watching that concert on, on television or on the internet, um, there's now a 0% chance that you have a face-to-face -face interaction with Doja Cat. Um, and of course, if you're engaging in a parasocial interaction with a fictional character, then truly 0% chance you'll ever meet this person or have an interaction with them because they don't exist. Um, and so I thought that was interesting that he looked at it as like, it's about the probability or possibility of, of developing intimacy. Um, and that there are probably some parasocial relationships we engage in where the probability of us meeting face to face are, are much higher. Um, and that may, in my opinion, that may kind of fuel um, the parasocial relationship because it's like, well, this is, this is possible. It's possible for me to meet this person. Um, and I think that is particularly true when we think about platforms like, uh, Instagram or Twitch where the content creator, the, you know, the person that you are parasocially interacting with is able to respond to you, particularly for people with much smaller fan bases, right? So if, let's say you follow a micro influencer on Instagram and they only have about 2000 followers, um, and less than 50% of those followers comment on the posts, uh, it's possible that the content creator reads and interacts with your post. Um, now, I think Giles would probably say that's not necessarily uh, a, an interaction that would foster intimacy because it's an online interaction, um, but it is more of an interaction than if you're just passively consuming their content. The same is true, I think, for Twitch streamers, probably a little more so because it is a real-time chat happening as they stream um, and they're able to respond to you quickly and, and quite consistently. Um, now I know that that is also kind of tainted by the fact that some Twitch streamers, well, I'm not great at Twitch, but my understanding of it is that if you spend certain amounts of money, people may respond to you more quickly or more often than if you, you know, aren't subscribed or you don't, um, you know, donate money. Um, so I think that muddies the water, um, which it might be more understood in the, you know, marketing and consumer side of the research, but I didn't look at it. Um, but I would be curious to see how, uh, like if Giles revisits any of this work, given the rise in this type of, um, literature. And I do have some, some literature that talks about streaming, um, particularly in the wake of COVID that, that I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so like I said, there's not a great theoretical underpinning of this. Um, about a year ago, there was an article published that outlines these four stages of parasocial relationships. So I'm going to go through those. So these are the four kind of modern stages. So the first stage um, 
is initiation. And and the important thing to remember about these stages is that the authors posit, uh, I found this in Kelly, the Kelly article, uh, they posit that um, in a parasocial relationship, at any stage, the the audience member, right, the, or the consumer, um, can terminate the relationship, right? So this was already a point from Horton and Wool that parasocial relationships can be terminated um, by the audience member at any time. And so in this like kind of four-stage model, at any point it's possible to kind of get out of the parasocial relationship or end it completely. So first stage is initiation. Um, so in this stage, the, the audience member finds themselves kind of attracted to the persona. Um, this could be physically or psychologically. So it could just be that you find the actor or character to be physically attractive, um, or you could have this like psychological connection to them of like maybe they are similar to me um I like the way that they present themselves um but at this stage you know very little about the character so you may spend a, an abundant amount of your attention um kind of looking for information about this person uh paying attention to them in the media source that you're watching and kind of evaluating them to figure out kind of how do I feel about this person, right, to satisfy your uncertainty. So you can see how this can go either way, right? In initiation stage, you can either branch off and say, like, okay, I really don't like this character or actor as much as I initially thought I did, and so parasocial interaction is terminated. Or you can move on to the next stage and, and increase your... Um, uh, in, increase your parasocial interaction. So I, I, I'll use an example from my personal life. A few years ago, I first saw the show Two Broke Girls, and immediately was drawn to Kat Denning's character in Two Broke Girls. His name was Max, um, and so at the initiation stage, it was that I found myself drawn to this character of Max, specifically, um, because I enjoyed her sense of humor, and I, I thought she was very beautiful. So that's that was my initiation stage, was okay. I'm drawn to this character in particular, and now I'm going to start kind of, I paid more attention to her scenes um, or her dialogue than I did to other characters on the screen. Okay, so that's initiation. So the next stage is, if you haven't terminated your parasocial interaction at this time, you move to experimentation. Um, so in this stage, you're seeking more interactions with the, the person or the persona, um, more places to kind of view the way that they communicate, because again, it's a parasocial relationship, so it's not reciprocal, but us as the consumers are looking for ways in which the the object of our parasocial relationship is communicating to us because that's how we, we begin to foster these relationships. Um, and as we seek out more of these interactions, we kind of see how this person or this persona fits within our, our own beliefs and values. So again, this could be the stage where you're out and you kind of you seek more of the celebrity or the character and you realize it's not really for me they don't fit in with what I really believe about the world or what I think is important and you're out no more parasocial interaction or you could go into the next stage so using my Kat Dennings <laughs> or my Max example um, so this was the phase where um, I now learn 
that the, now I learn the actress's name, right? So it's not just that I'm I'm interested in Max the character. It's that okay, I'm 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 interested in Kat Dennings as a an actress and or as like a public persona, and so now I seek out other things that she's in. And I think at this point I actually had watched. She was in a Thor movie. I'm not super into Marvel, but she was in a Thor movie. I watched her. This is like when you go onto IMDb and you're like, what are all the other things that this person is in that I could um, watch to see, you know, see what else I can learn about them, right? And and I think for a lot of us who get who are in the experimentation phase of parasocial interaction, uh, we're really trying to see if it is it the celebrity, you know, the actor, or is it the character? Um, and sometimes you realize that oh, this is just an actor who plays the same character in every show um and so maybe uh i'm not interested in this this person because they're maybe not that great of an actor <laughs> or i'm uh i was really more interested in the character and maybe that's why you fall off of the the parasocial interaction like train up the steps um so again experimentation we're seeking out more places to view as we get into modern times, right, this also can mean, like, looking up the person's social media accounts, um, you know, to see if maybe they blog or vlog, kind of see more places where you get to see their, again, the way they communicate. So stage three, we're still in it from experimentation, and we move up to stage three, it's called intensification. So if you've reached this, this stage, you are officially in a parasocial relationship. <laughs> You've moved beyond parasocial interaction to relationship. Um, and this is where you begin to develop emotional connections to the person and begin thinking about them when not consuming their media. So in my example, at this stage, I've de decided that I enjoy the character Max. I more specifically enjoy the actress Kate Kat Dennings. Um, and now I've decided that I'm parasocially <laughs> related to her. <laughs> um, and I begin to think of her very fondly. Um, you know, I thought I, you know, thinking about her as like a person that I want to succeed, I want her to do well. Um, and even when I'm not watching Two Broke Girls or looking at her Twitter, thinking about her outside of the show that I originally watched her in, right? Outside of when I watched Two Broke Girls. Um, so again, you could fall off here. So maybe you start to develop this effective connection to the person, you know, emotional connection, um, and maybe that just, it's, it is, just isn't working for you at this point. Um, or maybe you learn something about this, them at this point that, that doesn't solidify your beliefs, um, kind of goes countercultural to what you think about them, and so you, you kind of stop the intensification and slip off. Or you can go to the final stage of this particular model, which is called integration or bonding. Um, and at this stage, the parasocial relationship has become so intense that it is a point in which it's part of your recognizable identity, which means that you, the person who's in the parasocial relationship, enjoys it when other people notice that you are part of the fandom or part of this person's you know, fan club, um, and you feel that your bond with them is particularly special. So I'm going to go ahead and say, given my example of Kat Dennings, I did not reach this point. Um, in fact, I don't think I told anyone that I watched Two Broke Girls for a long time. Um, don't know why. I'm not particularly ashamed of it. 
it was a show that I found very funny at the time. Um, looking back on some of the jokes, probably wasn't the best <laughs> jokes, and probably why I've fallen off the parasocial connection to Kat Dennings, or particularly Max, um, because it doesn't align with my values anymore. Um, but yeah, so I, I never got this to this part where I feel like, ooh, I'm glad that people know I'm a Two Broke Girls fan and a, a Kat Dennings stan. Still, still think she's a fantastic actress. We're just not in a parasocial relationship at this time. <laughs> And she will never know that, right? Because it's parasocial. She does. She's not reciprocating. It's just um, from my end as as the the consumer of the media. Um, I think probably the most identifiable uh, example of this stage is if you're familiar with like K-pop stands, right? If you go on Twitter, you see a K-pop stand account. You know their profile picture is of their favorite K-pop star. Usually their Twitter handle and name are something about the fandom that they're a part of, um, and they kind of revel in this identity of a K-pop stan, right? Like they they will they would prefer to be recognized as part of this fandom, um, and not necessarily have that diver- divorced from their identity. Um, and feeling that their connection to, you know, whichever K-pop artist that they most identify with or, or most parasocially interact with, feeling that that bond is, is much more special than their than their bond with maybe other K-pop stars. Um, so you can see how, like, even if you're in a fandom or, you know, in a, in a enjoying a particular piece of media, you may des- develop more intense parasocial relationships with certain characters or celebrities from that fandom um, and not with all of them, right? And that's because it may be some of these stages, not all of the characters or celebrities um, continue to hold your attention. So that's the the four-stage model. So I think something that's important to kind of differentiate is that um, celebrity worship is a specific subset of parasocial interaction. So I've been kind of dancing around this by, by talking about celebrities versus characters. And this actually comes from Giles' uh, later article in 2010, where he talks about how um, a lot of the literature actually conflates or confuses these terms. And from his understanding, it's that uh, parasocial interaction is kind of like the overall umbrella and then things like celebrity worship are a subset of that. And so I, I, there are probably people who would conceptualize like the example of K-pop stands as, as a type of celebrity worship, um, but it is overall still a parasocial interaction. Um, and I think that this also plays a role in influencer culture um, where it's not just that you are um, identifying with the character or the the like art that the celebrity or, or person makes, but it is in fact the whole lifestyle and personality of the influencer in which parasocial interactions are happening. Um, and I think for some influencers, those are created. They may not necessarily be their true personality or true lifestyle. Um, if anybody watches The Circle, you'll see that how easy it is to just kind of invent a personality um, to have on the internet. But I do think that there are influencers who are, you know, part of their brand is to be authentically open about who they are and, and, and their um, lifestyles. And so, um, again, I think that's like a, a, 
this is this is one of those subsets is this idea of, of celebrity worship um, and I found this actually very interesting article from 2021 that was looking at the impact of gaining more followers on parasocial interactions and so these authors looked at um, kind of like how did people handle um, like controversial things happening to the influencers that they followed um, and like basically how willing were they to like forgive the influencer or, or kind of move past it and, and understand it and they actually found that they're they're in the course of this research that there might be a negative effect um, on sense of connection to the influencer as you grow more followers so the the more followers that an influencer has, the more diffuse the sense of connection is. And I talked about this earlier, right? Like within this like continuum of probability of meeting someone, the less followers an influencer has, the more likely you as one of their followers are to have an interaction with them. It's much higher. But as they start to grow more followers, that possibility becomes a lot much smaller and that feeling of connection to the influencer is dif diffused. Um, and they said that this is because influencers are essentially grassroots celebrities, right? They grow their own um, follower base and some of them start from very small communities having only like tens of followers and growing upwards. And so people who have been there from the beginning um, may feel pushed out of the community. Um, due to this effect and they also uh, uh, kind of hypothesize that the more followers you have the less trustworthy the influencer may seem um, because of the the lack of connection you may have to the influencer um, and I think that uh, a lot of a lot of times I think this is really uh, seen in like the true crime podcast uh, world um, so like I think a good example is My Favorite Murder, if anyone listens to that podcast. When it started, it was, like, super small, um, you know, I don't know how many listeners they started out with, but, you know, they it, 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 they weren't even, like, running ads on episodes, you know, like, it was, it was small, um, and they were doing this, they, there's a feature of the podcast where you can write in and have your story read, and as they've grown it's becoming less and less likely that your story will make it on and that your email will be read. And in fact, it's almost become a joke in the community of like sending in the same email multiple times and hopefully in an attempt to be, to be read on, on the show. Um, and if you participate in this fandom, which I do, which is why I'm talking about it, <laughs> um, you may have noticed that there are conversations happening among fans about like, the different type of content that's being put out now and maybe people feeling dissatisfied uh, because it's not how it used to be or feeling less of a connection to the hosts of the show, um, which, you know, of course, fans are speculating about why that could be. But I think in one way is that there are now more people who participate in the parasocial interaction. Um, there are more people that are diverting the attention and the the sense of connection um, and so maybe people who've been part of the fandom from the beginning are feeling pushed out or feeling um, like it's different than it was before and the reality is that it is but it's also not something that the hosts are in control of um, because again it's not a reciprocal relationship right the hosts don't listen to you talk about murders <laughs> you listen to them talk about murders and it, and it doesn't go both ways um, 
Although I guess you could see the, the, the reading your emails as a almost like intermittent reinforcement schedule of like maybe this time they will reciprocate um, my communication, but uh, I don't have time to design a research study <laughs> looking at that. Um, okay, so that that's kind of, I, 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 you know, I think this is a good transition to like how parasocial interaction has changed um, over the ways that media has changed, right? Because I'm, I'm starting to talk about podcasts and, and Twitter and social media and influencers. Um, so before I, I kind of continue talking about that, I did want to highlight a study I found by Purse and Rubin uh, from 1989 that actually looked at soap operas as a vehicle for parasocial interactions. And in fact, at this time, like back in the 80s, the, the research around parasocial interaction and relationships was really focused on soap operas because soap operas were like, that was all the rage at the time. And soap operas were, were a very different type of media um, because it was like bringing theater into your home, but the theater was directed at you. Like you were the audience, right? Instead of sharing the audience experience with many people. Um, and and the, the study that was done by Person Rubin in 89 actually found that um, so they found that kind of like the benefit of parasocial relationships is that um, the the way that we do real relationships, right, like interpersonal relationships kind of help us manage parasocial relationships. So it's kind of like you're exercising the same muscle, right? So parasocial interactions may be helping you in interpersonal interactions and, and vice versa. Um, and they specifically were looking at this this idea of confidence of attribution, which is this idea that you feel confident in understanding the information you have acquired about others. And so para, parasocial relationships kind of develop from this confidence um, in where you feel you feel very confident about the information that you that you know about the character that you are interacting with. Um, and I think that's because with with like media characters, it's more straightforward how you acquire information, right? It's it's you don't have to do as much guesswork as you do in in, in interpersonal relationships where you have to you know modulate nonverbal behavior and tone and attitude and you know all those pesky things that make talking to people really hard. <laughs> That's not happening in a parasocial relationship. Um, and the unique thing that that this study found was that um, parasocial interactions were actually just as strong with the villain characters in soap operas, um, not just like the heroes. And they kind of posited that. Um, in in stories, people love a villain and actually derive pleasure from villain storylines and are interested th in them, even though if behaviors that, that villains partake in were done to us in real life, we would stay away from those people. We would not interpersonally interact with them. Um, and so this the parasocial interaction and relationships um, kind of allow people to relate to characters that um, should be seen as like repulsive or you know not someone that you would want to interact with in real life but but draw people in and I think that we still see this effect very strongly today um, and that the, it you know probably because life imitates art and culture informs more culture we start to see more anti-hero media come out because people relate to bad characters or villainous characters Disney villains are a great example of this. You know, people love the villains. They, you know, take pictures of with them at, at the theme parks. Um, 
Or if you think of, in fact, the movie Despicable Me, like the whole concept is that the main character is a villain that we like. I mean, they do things with that character where he doesn't have villainous characteristics, but he's billed as a villain and we still, um, you know, are able to parasocially interact with him and maybe develop a parasocial relationship with Gru. Who knows if that's your your thing. Um, so I, I just really did like to point out that, that study because I think it's so interesting that it, it was developed around soap operas. Um, but like I said, the, the parasocial relationship literature kind of ebbs and flows. And so there, there isn't, there wasn't a whole much more to find out about more traditional media. Um, but now we're kind of returning to the literature to look at new forms of media. So Live streaming is one of the best examples we have right now of, of new forms of media. And so this study uh, in 2020 by Sue Lim and, and their team, um, we're looking at the parasocial relationships between live streamers and audience members. And so the rationale for the study was that youth and young adults now actually watch more live stream content than traditional cable media. So this is becoming a very common way in which younger generations are consuming media. And I'll be honest, I do, I do watch some live streaming content um, on Twitch. Again, I'm not very good at it, but, but I do consume it. I think people my age and, and younger are, are probably the primary consumers of this type of, of media, but that doesn't mean that, that older people don't engage with it as well. Um, but it, it just is becoming a more uh, like staple type of media to consume. Um, and they, they posited in this article that um, the parasocial interaction is not just between the audience member and the live streamer, but it's also between the audience member and other audience members. So like I mentioned before, you know, if you're not familiar with it, if you engage in these these media platforms, um, there's often like a chat function where you and everyone else watching the content are able to, to interact either with the creator or with each other. Um, but these aren't necessarily people that you know, and in fact, oftentimes you, you don't have your real name up, you may have a screen name, you know nothing about the, the other chat member that you were interacting with, but you are, so you are engaging in, in a type of parasocial relationship. Now, I think it's a little different because uh, you are getting some reciprocity there, right? They can reply back to you in a way that maybe the actual content creator could not. Um, and it's probably highly, higher likelihood that you would meet another chat member in person than you would to meet the content creator. So if we're, you know, going back to Giles's continuum, the parasocial interaction with the live streamer is farther along the continuum than it is with the chat or audience member. Um, so you know, this, is just, this is just how we connect the research. This is how we just connect those dots. Um, <laughs> so this article um, basically was looking at the idea that um, one of the things that kind of runs parasocial interactions with live streamers is a, a concept called wishful identification. Um, and so this is the desire to become more like somebody which motivates uh, an audience to watch more and may actually ultimately help the audience member to reach their goals and increase their enjoyment or feelings of social support. So this, I think, was was an article that kind of highlights the positive aspects of parasocial relationships. And, and this article was talking about through through the idea of social learning theory, which if you're a Bandura head, you'll know what this means. But in short, is, is a theory of, that we learn through social interactions, particularly through things like modeling. 
And so when you watch a live streamer that you follow and enjoy, part of why you enjoy watching them and why you feel this sense of parasocial interaction and support from the community is that you want to be more like them. Maybe you want to be successful like them. Maybe you watch... Um, you know, people who create art uh, on live streams and you want to become better at art or become better at playing video games. Uh, you want to be more like the content creator. And so you continue to watch them for this, this identification with them of like one day I could be like that. And it increases your enjoyment. And according to this article, could potentially also increase your ability to, to reach your own goals. Um, and a little shout out to some of my friends who I know um, have started things like Twitch streaming. I hope that they feel encouraged that they are setting a good role model for their audience um, and are getting to participate in encouraging people to, to reach for their goals and feel supported. Um, so so let's continue in the vein of like positive aspects of, of parasocial interactions. Um, so, the, you know, from this article, we see that that parasocial interactions with live streamers particularly um, may encourage you to reach your goals and increase your enjoyment. Um, a recent study, a very recent study um, that was done in 2021 or published in 2021, looked at um, LGBTQ young adults who lived with their parents during the COVID-19 pandemic um, and looked at parasocial relationships as kind of like a, a, a moderator for loneliness. Um, so basically they looked at like people who live with their parents who identify as part of the LGBTQ. Uh, they weren't looking at, at gender, they were looking just at sexual orientation. Um, people who, who identify this way and are, and are in adulthood but are living with their parents and are isolated from peers because of COVID, um, they de who develop parasocial relationships online, how did that um, impact kind of their experience of loneliness and depression? And so the study actually found that the parasocial relationships kind of buffered family support and, and loneliness. So basically, um, if you don't have a lot of family support, uh, as a as a queer adult living with your parents, but you're able to engage in uh, parasocial relationships online, it may help you to feel less lonely, even in the absence of your dysfunctional, <laughs> unsupportive family. Um, and that also may be a good predictor of you not developing more severe depressive symptoms. So engaging in parasocial relationships, particularly for more marginalized communities, um, who often are isolated from each other in, interpersonally can still make connections online through parasocial interactions and relationships that actually provide pretty intense benefits um, by moderating and reducing experiences of loneliness in the absence of uh, interpersonal support in their environment. So it's not all a bad thing. And I think particularly given the context of COVID-19 where um, a lot of people in this age group um, maybe were away at college or had recently moved out of their family homes and started new lives where they were able to connect with people like them, had to move home for economic and health reasons, and are now kind of experiencing um, a shift in the amount of social support that they had. And, and this study specifically looked at um, parasocial relationships with 
LGBTQ media personalities, like, on YouTube. So it wasn't just the parasocial relationships of, like, um, you know, like, you text, you know, you, you know people on Twitter that you DM. Watching content of people who have the same identity as you um, and kind of participating in that parasocial interaction what, what was what was so helpful. Um, so those are some positives, but there are some downsides to parasocial relationships and interactions, and I feel like we got to talk about them. We're going to be fair and balanced here. Um, I was reading this literature review by Hussein and Starcevic, uh, which came out just last year, and they were looking at parasocial relationships as a as connected to something called problematic social network use. So uh, this is like using social media or social networking sites in a degree that is uh, impacting your daily functioning. So uh, this is another term that isn't super clearly defined, but in this uh, meta-analysis, they defined it as a behavioral addiction, um, which could be considered a subset of internet communication disorders. So there is a movement to kind of qualify certain types of internet use as a, a type of addiction, like very similar to something like a gambling disorder, um, and and that the the social network use becomes problematic when it reaches this level where uh, it's outside of the user's control so much that maybe you're using social networks more than you want to, um, you're kind of feeling like it. Uh, you know, it impedes on your life and maybe it impacts your ability to perform your duties at work or to interact with, you know, people who are, are in your life. So they were looking at this, which, which they were looking at the problematic social network use um, and how it may be moderated by parasocial relationships. So they're, they're basically saying that if you have gotten to that phase of establishing a parasocial relationship, with a media figure, your problematic social network use might get worse because you're seeking out that interaction with someone that you have a very strong emotional connection to, albeit a one-sided connection to it. Um, and so they looked at they looked at quite a few studies that used different ways of measuring things. So that you know people who took surveys, um, mostly cross-sectional, so they were only looking at like a, a moment in time. Um, and those those survey studies kind of showed that there are at least correlational connections between problematic social network use and increased anxiety, increased levels of stress, increased levels of social anxiety, more rumination, more traits of narcissism, higher incidences of cyberbullying, uh, more rates of depression, as well as decreased sleep, decreased ratings of well-being, and a decreased ability to emotionally regulate. So, a lot of bad stuff, right? Like increasing mental health symptoms and decreasing things that are good for us like sleep and, and the ability to regulate emotions. Um, but again, we're careful with these results because they were only surveys, they're, they're only correlational. Um, but they did look at two studies that um, were neurological and so did things like brain scans when in conjunction with measuring people's social network use. Um, and they basically stated that the findings in these neurological studies are that the impact on the brain of problematic social networking use is similar to the impact on the brain of other addictive substances. So 
not in the way that we're like the actual substance of, of alcohol or, or a drug alters the brain, but in the way that the, the behavior of addiction alters the brain and kind of rewires certain reward pathways. Um, and so those two studies found that the severe problematic social network use was associated with a white matter connection deficit and less gray matter volume. Um, and for those of you who are like, why do I care? What does any of that mean? It's basically saying that there's an impact on the way that your brain is able to function and communicate across sections of the brain. Um, and less gray matter volume is about your brain being a little smaller, which means it's not using um, certain parts of your brain as well. Again, we're taking all this with a grain of salt. It's only two studies, um, and because we don't have a great definition of problematic social network use or parasocial relationships, um, these should be replicated and, and should be looked at again. But I think it's important to understand that there is... <sighs> There is some evidence that shows that engaging in parasocial relationships, particularly through social networks or, or, or social media sites, that aren't the best for our mental health, and, and we should be careful about the way that we engage in them. Um, and the last example of, of kind of the downside of parasocial relationships I wanted to talk about was um, this article from 2020 that looked at information seeking about COVID and parasocial relationships with President Trump. So this study looked, was measuring information seeking. So information seeking is, uh, we've actually talked about this in the confirmation bias episode. If you want to go back, it's one of the minis. Um, information seeking is like seeking out more information, right? Wanting to learn about something. Um, and that it, in this study they were looking at it as kind of a function of reducing anxiety or stress. Um, and if you think about COVID, people seeking out information to kind of feel more confident in maybe the health decisions that they're making or wanting to know more about a thing so that it doesn't seem so scary and uncertain. And this study was actually done um, back in the beginning of 2020, right when they, they actually started measuring data about a month after uh, President Trump had finally admitted that COVID was a, a big deal. <laughs> um, and if you'll remember, that was like kind of around March of 2020. So they collected data in April, so it had been about a month since the president had, the president at the time, had finally kind of admitted this is a big deal and, and, and we need to acknowledge it. Um, wasn't necessarily the acknowledgement that maybe all of us wanted, um, but it was a shift in, in the way that he messaged. So they were looking at um, if you have this parasocial relationship with President Trump, and they looked at it particularly through his brand, which I thought was so interesting that, you know, Trump has this brand of, of him, himself, like Trump is the brand, um, you know, it's about lavish lifestyles, wealth, greed, um, I mean, I don't know how many other ways I can say money, it's about money, um, but that's the brand of Donald Trump. And so they were looking at, and, and, you know, the brand also did change a little bit as he became president. And it, it was kind of this brand of, of like telling it like it is, not being very nice, um, being very direct, um, and being very rich. And kind of like, you know, not, not taking any guff from your enemies. So they were looking at if you identified with this brand of the president at the time and had a parasocial relationship with him based on this brand, um, how would you seek out information about COVID? And they found a negative relationship where 
the more you identified with the brand, the less information seeking you did. Um, so that means that you you're less concerned about you know by proxy by proxy that means you're less concerned about COVID because you're not seeking information about it um, at a time when information seeking about COVID was kind of what all of us were doing because a lot of our lives got turned upside down at that time of the year. Um, they they also kind of mentioned that the this effect wasn't as strong as they expected, and they think that's because it was about a month after the narrative change, and then if they had collected that data beforehand, um, the, the effects might have been stronger because identifying with his brand also would have meant identifying with, um, you know, believing that COVID was not a big deal. Um, so... They, they kind of talked about how there's this long-lasting effect of the parasocial relationship with the Trump brand. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think that's still happening, <laughs> um, even though he's not the president, even though we've gone through all of this stuff with the Capitol Hill stuff on the 6th and him losing the election and all this QAnon stuff. You know, like people still identify with this brand of Trump and have a very strong parasocial connection with him and the reality is is that you probably are not going to meet president trump face to face or former president trump face to face it's just it's just not possible right if there's like 30 million people that voted for him you're one out of 30 million and let's be honest you probably don't have enough money to run in the same social circle as him so you're not going to meet him one-on-one um but you know when people go to his rallies there's this hope that maybe i'll meet him or i'll get to see him um, and that continues to like drive this this possibility that maybe there will be a face to face interaction, um, and I, th- I I wonder I would speculate that if cutting off his Twitter earlier, um, which was quite a powerful one on one interaction when he would like retweet his fans, um, you know, or like their tweets or whatever, um, maybe cutting off his Twitter earlier might have allowed some of these parasocial relationships to fade because you're not getting that reinforcement of him interacting. Um, But I'm going to say that after four years of his presidency, of him being constantly in the media, constantly paid attention to, uh, those effects are pretty intense. And I honestly would love to see more research on this. I think I'm going to probably keep looking at this research to see if people are are still looking into... um, the impact of of Trump's media presence on parasocial interactions and relationships. Um, But I don't want to end on a too depressing, (laughs) um, too much of a depressing note. So what I think we can walk away with this research is, is that there are good and bad things about parasocial relationships, just as there are good and bad things about interpersonal relationships. Um, And if you find yourself maybe in a lot of very intense parasocial interactions um, where you're to the detriment of your actual interpersonal relationships, maybe take a look at it and and look to see what need are the parasocial relationships filling that you could also be satisfying and serving through your interpersonal relationships. Um, and, And are your parasocial relationships leading you to engage in problematic social media use, right? To the to the detriment of, of other areas of your life. And if they are, then you might want to consider a, a different direction. But I don't think it means that we can never engage in parasocial relationships. I think that we we do all the time and it just makes enjoying media more fun. Um, it also may help you to feel less lonely, particularly if you're still being impacted by 
by isolation orders or, you know, maybe if you recently, even if it's not COVID stuff, right? Like maybe you recently moved to a new area um, or circumstances in your life have changed such that you feel more isolated. I think of my friends who are recently, uh, who've recently become parents and, uh, you know, having a, a toddler is quite an isolating experience, uh, particularly if not all of your friends have toddlers. Um, and so a parasocial relationship in that case, I think, can help you feel a little less isolated. And we have research that backs it up that shows that, um, you know, it's not all bad. It may help you reach your goals. It may help you feel less lonely or less depressed. Um, so I think as I do with most things, I just encourage you to kind of examine what the parasocial relationships are serving in your life. Um, and if they are not serving you well, how can you change the way that you interact parasocially? Uh, maybe lessen your interactions or change the type of interactions that you're engaging in. You don't necessarily have to give them all up. Um, yeah, and if you if you find that, you know, your identification with a particular celebrity means that you are now uh, engaging in conspiracy, conspiratorial thinking, which again was one of my episodes you can go back and listen to, uh, you know, just, just, just take a minute to examine that parasocial interaction a parasocial relationship. Um, and, and remember, you can always terminate a parasocial relationship at any time. Anytime you want, you are in control of it. You can terminate it. You can stop following someone on Twitter. You can stop watching a movie that you are not enjoying. Uh, you can stop reading a book that maybe you don't like or you don't like the characters in it. You really do have the control over the parasocial relationship. And I think I like that conceptualization of it better um, rather than it being this kind of worship or you're being beholden to a person who doesn't know you exist, um, you're in control of the parasocial relationship. You get to decide when it begins and when it ends. Um, and I, I hope that you feel empowered to do that, to end parasocial relationships that don't serve you well um, or or that you don't like, that you don't enjoy. You know, you don't have to keep listening to um, a podcast that, that you've outgrown or, or keep watching a show that, that, that doesn't align with your values anymore. You, you can, you can stop just because you were a fan once doesn't mean you have to be a fan forever. Um, and I, I think that ends my soapbox on <laughs> social relationships. Um, but I had a lot of fun researching this episode. Um, I hope that you had fun listening to it and I would love if you could, uh, share with me what some of the parasocial relationships that you have are. Um, you know, what fandoms are you a part of? Uh, you know, you can email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com or you can always tweet at me. Um, and with that, thank you very much for listening and I will see you in the next episode. To see the sources and resources mentioned in the episode, visit psychologicallymindedpod.com or click the link in the show notes. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming episodes, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and see you in the next episode.